Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations Half. We'll be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne. Hi, and I'm Margay. So Pastor Danielle started off the sermon by talking about anti-Semitism and how in the 80s, the Lutheran World Federation and later the ELCA um, spoke against Luther's work, especially in her his later years, um, that were very anti-Semitic, uh, which she brings in to talk about the shooting that happened at the Pittsburgh synagogue, um, Tree of Life, and kind of the need for public confession and reconciliation against the hate that we have allowed to take root in this world and kind of talking about how the church has not only been fighting against that hate but also has been participating in the social structures that encourage and how um and let that hate remain in our world so saying that well this is a really hard part of our church history we also need to accept and understand it and work now to root out that hate that still exists in the church and in our worlds uh, because we are all broken and beloved people of God. I think that anti-Semitism is so deeply rooted in our culture that sometimes we don't even see it Mm -hmm. in the same way that we often don't see the other disenfranchised groups that Pastor Danielle referenced, the LGBTQ plus community, people of color, women. If you are not in one of those groups, you experience a kind of privilege that you are unaware of unless you're on the other side. And so the more we become attuned to the sufferings of our brothers and sisters, the more that we can become less of the problem and part of the solution. I think it's telling that the Lutheran World Federation made its statement in 1982, and it took 12 more years for the ELCA, that's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, to come up with its own statement of confession Mm -hmm. and apology. The Reformation was uh, 501 years ago. And at that time, anti-Semitism was just the way it was in Germany. It wasn't only Martin Luther that was ranting and raving against it. It was pretty much what, air quotes, everybody thought. And it's taken... um, 500 years for people to kind of grow out of that. During uh, Hitler's time, he called on the writings of Martin Luther to really support uh, his uh, anti-Semitism. And it was only a small portion of, of faithful Christians, kind of led by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and what has become known as the Confessing Church, that stood up to that. Uh, Bonhoeffer said, you know, those who do not stand up for the Jews have no right to sing the Gregorian chants. But I don't, you know, there wasn't vast agreement with that. Every year there would be um, passion plays given in Germany. And after, because, uh, so the saying went, 
because they thought that the Jews killed Christ after the plays, people would go and storm the ghettos. And it was, it was not a good moment in the church's history that we didn't stand up against that sooner. Yeah, and I feel like often if we come from a place of privilege, we can work to protect that and protect ourselves versus thinking of the wider community or all of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting and affected by all of the oppression that lives in this world. It can be easier to just kind of go along with how things are, um, especially if that doesn't hurt us. But then if it does hurt us, we're like, oh no, now this is wrong. But we need to go beyond that. We need to not just fight for things when it affects us or those we love, but in, but when it affects anyone. You mentioned our brothers and sisters in Christ, but of course the um, people of the Jewish faith are, are forebearers in the faith. They were the ones that received the original promise from God. And I think Martin Luther and many other people think, well, why don't they accept Jesus? But that's not the question. They already have the promise. The promise was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. And so I should have said Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob and Rachel, that Mm -hmm. this is the the family of God. And we only get grafted onto that promise because of Jesus. So we should be grateful that we have Jesus because we need Jesus in order to get in on the promise. Mm -hmm. Our forebearers in the faith have the promise. And so we have no right to be calling them out for, for their faith. Mm-hmm. They were the original chosen people of God. When Pastor Danielle got to the heart of her sermon, she talked about us all being broken vessels, broken and beloved, so that our brokenness is overcome by being beloved by God. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth that uh, John uh, references in his gospel. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Definitely. And I think that's the, um, I like the way that's phrased because it's not necessarily something we're doing or something we're achieving. It's just something that we naturally are. And I feel like in the society, we're always kind of, our ideas of worth are very different in American society than in God's eyes. Our worth is what can we do? What can we provide to someone else? What can we produce? Whereas this is, this is just what we are. We are broken and we are beloved without having to change anything or be any different than what we were created. So that's what something that was really coming up for me during the sermon was kind of the different views we can take on ourselves of, uh, and kind of how do we identify ourselves or what do we think how do we describe ourselves? Because so often we describe ourselves by what we do or what we believe. Um, but fundamentally and how God sees us and how God sees all of us is kind of this fundamental core of humanity 
and that in that we are broken and beloved. And I think on a good day, the church is kind of a delivery system for that love. Mm-hmm. That the God's love passes through us and out into the world. And rather than what a lot of people think about the church, which is that the church is very judgmental and the church only wants people like us, uh, which has been true over the centuries and and Mm -hmm. has, you know, it's a a fair critique. But um, I'm happy to report that uh, I find and others find that uh, this congregation is very welcoming, diverse, and inclusive, and accepting um, of all the people of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely, that's something I still, still want to work on and improve on, is how do I, how do I remember that I am loved? Because sometimes I can think like oh I didn't do a good enough job or I'm not worthy of this but how just for me remembering that I am fundamentally beloved well uh, mm -hmm. do you have any words of wisdom I do I do you're not worthy but Jesus is worthy enough for both of you (laughs) so I I think you know that's something good for everybody to remember Mm -hmm. we can't do it on our own Mm-hmm. And Pastor Danielle brought this up too. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not up to us to save ourselves or to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Mm-hmm. We just kind of have to sink into the love of Jesus and then become a vehicle for that love to pass through us uh, into the rest of the world. Yeah. And I guess that's part of my growing up in the American, very individualist culture coming out is it's all on me, I should be an individual, but kind of resting in God's love and kind of that intertwinedness, I guess, is what you're speaking to. I am. Uh, this month, you know, we've been doing this Hill of Beans project, <laughs> uh-huh. trying to collect 500 cans of beans. And uh, I've been away for the last couple of weeks, so it was just great fun to come in and see the towers of beans on either side of the altar and I think we're close, and by the end of the month, by Wednesday, we'll, we'll have our 500 cans. So when we set out to do it, um, that's a lot to ask a congregation to come up with that many uh, cans. But it just because I think it was so very specific, people knew exactly what to bring in. Mm-hmm. And um, it's wonderful how everybody's responded to that. You know, it's just a little drop in the bucket for uh, providing food for people. But I think it's something that shows that when everybody works together, how, how you can really do something that has a, a visual as well as an actual impact. Definitely. And I think it's also good to, to give those a place of importance, to put those near the altar, to say that God's love should be pushing us to action should be pushing us to service in love to our community especially those who are struggling in some way for example people struggling with hunger may i pose a question yes kevin here i've just been running tech in the back but hearing you guys talk just there's one question that's kind of i don't know popping up and and won't go away um so 
earlier you guys were discussing um, some of the church's history and um, this history of anti-Semitism. Margay, you were describing how after the Passion of the Christ that acts, people would go through the streets. And this was in Germany, right? Predominantly. Predominantly. Or that, that's where I know that it happened. Um, and, you know, terrorizing or doing committing acts of vandalism or violence or hatred in the Jewish ghettos. And um, one question that I get asked a lot by my agnostic or atheist friends is, your church sounds great, but how, how can you believe in this faith when the church has such a history of getting it wrong, of committing acts of hate or prejudice or judgment? How, yeah. So I, I would ask that to you guys. What I in think the church is you... broken also. Yeah. It's not a perfect vehicle. So I think you have two choices. You could either reform it from within or reform or complain about it from outside. Hmm. And if you're, I mean, in this country, there was still anti-Semitism. I mean, there still is up until the present day. But for years in suburbs, uh, Jewish people were not allowed to join certain country clubs or they weren't allowed to join certain service organizations or they weren't allowed uh, uh, people, you know, in New York were kind of spoiled because um, we, we know Jewish people personally. Um, in my high school... There was one Jewish girl in our entire class. Wow. And at one of the reunions, um, I asked her, I said, you know, how was it? It, you know, because I think she was invisible. Mm -hmm. And she said it was hard because it was so not on everybody's radar there. Wow. Yeah. And I guess what gives me hope is that, especially in these struggles for freedom or the societal struggles against oppression, is often the church's, church is on both sides. So remembering that the church has not only worked to uphold oppression, but also has worked to dismantle it. And when I look at the Bible and the scripture, I see a liberation and a promise of liberation. Mm. That's, what, that's what keeps me coming back. So it's, it sounds like the, the two important things to keep in mind is that the, the church is, is both not perfect, but also not static, that there's this constant oh, change yes. and reform. That, and there, that's a, um, kind of a byword that the, Church is always reforming. Yeah, yeah. So while it's important to own what happened in the past, as the church and being part of it now, we're looking towards, okay, what do we need to be doing now in the world and for the, and for the future? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm also hearing the importance of recognizing that we give this umbrella term, the church, when in reality, at any period in history, there are different pieces of the of 
the Christian church often taking different roles in, you know, in terms of if you're looking at the spectrum of like going with the societal norms of certain prejudice or hatred or and being resisting those or proclaiming love against those. I think, you know, different pieces of the church have always existed on different places on that spectrum. It's important to recognize. That's what, that's what I heard from your answers. So thanks. Those are useful. <laughs> In certain parts of John's gospel, mm-hmm. it sounds like he's blaming the Jews for certain things. And, you know, the Jesus movement started out as a reform movement within Judaism. Mm-hmm. Jesus was Jewish. All the disciples were Jewish. Everybody was Jewish unless you were a Roman and you were occupying their territory. Yes, there may have been a few people from one of the other tribes. You know, Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. There were a few uh, early, early followers who were not from the tribe of Judah, which is where we get Jewish from, or Judeans, which is the area that was around Jerusalem. But when John is seeming to, to blame the Jews, it's really like it's the Jewish authorities that he's annoyed at. Mm-hmm. It's like when somebody says, well, the Americans, bloody blue, bloody blue. The Americans, it's like, wait a minute, that's not my position. Mm-hmm. But somebody that's higher up has stated a position that our country holds. So not necessarily everybody that's an American falls into that category. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that John was, well, as I said, the Jesus movement started out as a reform movement within Judaism. And then at some point, the Jesus movement and the synagogue kind of got a divorce. Mm -hmm. And um, so John is writing after that happened. Mm. And so there's a little um, animosity toward the other side at that point. Why was there a divorce, air quote, divorce? Do you know? Because of the issue of circumcision. Really? The um, Judaizers said that you had to be circumcised in order to uh, be a part of the people of faith. Mm -hmm. And the... Non-Judaizers said, no, in Christ it's a new creation. And so we don't have to, Christ sets us free, and we don't have to follow any of those rules anymore. Hmm. And then the people from the synagogue said, any of those rules? And so, you know, where do you draw the line? We still observe the Ten Commandments. Mm Mm-hmm but we don't necessarily observe some of the other mm-hmm. rules that are in Leviticus or, uh, you know, some of the very technical things. Yeah. So where does, you know, where do you draw that line anymore? I'd be also interested to hear your story of um, what was it like for you to become a pastor as a woman? Did you encounter any resistance or? By the time I got to seminary, I went as a second career person. And I think because I had no women examples of pastors, 
I didn't, um, I didn't originally think I was going to be a pastor. I went and got an associate ministry degree, and I spent two years resettling refugees uh, through the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, another disenfranchised population. I gave so many sermons in local churches trying to convince them to sponsor one refugee family at a time. And I mm-hmm. thought, gee, I'm pretty good at this part. So I went back to seminary and got uh, my Master of Divinity, and then I was able to be ordained. And I think because I took the scenic route, it was time passed. Uh, it was six years. And mm-hmm. so at the beginning, there were less women in the classes. There was one class that I was in where I was the only woman. And it was very interesting because we would be having a discussion and I would say something and the discussion would just go on as if I wasn't there. Mm. And then five minutes later, one of the men in the class would say something, the exact same thing that I said. And everybody would say, oh, yes, of course. And then they'd move on to a new topic. So I have had the experience of my voice being not heard. But I don't tend to be too shy and retiring. So um, <laughs> that was really the only time when I was so outnumbered. Mm-hmm. But when I think of the first women, and we've only been ordaining women for about 50 years now. So that's, that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. that um, you know we've come late to the table. Yeah, I remember I was at the... Um small group meeting at the synod assembly this last year about the 50th anniversary Mm -hmm. of women being able to be ordained and there was only women in the room there was no men who came to that meeting because it was breakout meetings and there was lots of different Mm -hmm. things so that got me that made me think about kind of allyship and not only the importance of us owning our own voices but also how do we support other people whose struggles we don't have. The uh, North Carolina Synod has just put out a video. They had uh, the male pastors in the Synod read these comments that were made about women pastors. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Google it. I'm sure you could find it there. It was you would just like your mouth would drop. Their mouths would drop. Like, I can't believe people said this. And uh, one of my friends is in that video. And he said, well, I'm a black man and I'm married to a female pastor. I've heard it all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He said, so I only read a couple of them because only a couple of them were surprising to me. Mm -hmm. But um, it takes another person who's experienced um, being on the outside to really be in solidarity. And I guess to bring us back to the kind of theme of the sermon, to be in solidarity with all of these um, disenfranchised groups, Mm -hmm. I think is really to put yourself in their circumstances. Definitely. You had asked me before uh, a question, which I'd like to throw back to you. What are you going to do differently this week? What am I going to do differently this week? Oh, there's so much to chew over here. I guess I have a couple things. First, I want to kind of meditate on the idea of being broken and beloved. Um, That's something I want to kind of come back to over this week. 
Uh, and then I want to think about with all of the hate and the destruction that is going on, how can I thinking about and trying to find actionable ways that I can be loving in this world and be supportive of those who are being targeted by this hate. So what about you? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that hatred because I think that's something else that Danielle, Pastor Danielle pointed out in her sermon, Mm -hmm. that hatred and fear are related. Yeah. And I think that also would be an interesting thing to meditate on. Is the hatred the basis for the fear or the fear is the basis for the hatred? Mm-hmm. And um, she mentioned it, but she didn't dwell, dwell on that point. Yeah. And I'd like to think some more about that. You know, that underneath this hatred that we see so prevalent in all the news stories this week, mm-hmm. um, that the hatred morphs into a, to a fear Mm-hmm. and then the fear morphs into more hatred. It's like um, they're, it's a they're cycle. A, a cyclical and they're in a symbiotic relationship that's not, <laughs> not mm-hmm. good. Yeah. You know, whereas broken and beloved is so much the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And that when you feel broken to remember that you're beloved yeah is the, is truly the antidote thank you for listening you can find us online at adventnyc.org you can email us at podcast at adventnyc.org or join our facebook group advent sermons and conversations to join the discussion our services are 9 a.m and 11 a.m in english and 12 30 p.m in spanish at 93rd and broadway